0: All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. Also, welcome to the Huntington Work Release Program. We're glad that you guys are uh, worshiping with us too this morning. All right, so quickly, we have the giving slide, so we're gonna do that, and then we're gonna jump into Galatians 6. Just a reminder why do we do the giving slide? Why do we wanna keep you updated on finances? Couple different reasons, one is to say thank you uh, to all of those who generously give. And if you don't know, I mean, giving isn't just to keep this going, it's the Cafe of Hope, Champs Academy. This building is open seven days a week for community, for the community to be a part of. So your generous giving makes it so Life Church can use this building for more than a church. So we wanna make sure we say thank you for that. So second quarter budget, second quarter giving, um, what we're over budget for the quarter, over budget for the year. And again, since last quarter, we have 12 new people that have joined in to say we want to give and be a part of that. So again, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for believing in the vision. Like I said, it's, it's something that is hard sometimes for people to, to see what it takes to be able to keep a building like this open all week long and allow to share it with the community. So we're thankful that we can open it to community, we can do church, and together we can do our best to reach this community and the people around us. All right, so Galatians 6, we will finish today. I promise it's been <laughs> 10 weeks 11 weeks whatever it is but we're going to get it done today because we got to we got to move on so galatians again quick synopsis so that we get all on the same page because from the beginning and wrapping up at the end we've had a lot in the middle but we want to be able to bring it together galatians written to a group of churches in the area of galatia history would tell us those churches were planted by paul when they were planted they were thriving things were going great didn't take them long. They got off course. Here was their problem. It wasn't that they were just having sins and making mistakes, but they believed a false gospel. So they heard the true gospel, then they believed a false gospel, and here's what he told them. When you believe in a false gospel, that's not just a mistake. That's going to lead you to hell. So this letter, if you're reading inside of the Bible, Galatians is a 911 emergency call letter to people saying, if you believe in a false doctrine, you better get it right because you don't get a chance to, to get up there and plead your case when you believed in something that was wrong. So he spends the majority of the time, what is a true gospel? What do we need to believe in? How can you participate in it? Then he gets to the place where if your foundation is shook at all and you wanna know, am I believing in a false gospel? How do I know? Like, how do I know if I'm off? You know, I think everybody in this room, if you really care, have always wondered, Am I going to be the one standing up there? And he's going to be like, I don't even know who you are. Like, I think a lot of people go through that. So he gets to the place where he says, if you want to know, there's some pretty clear indicators, works of the flesh, right? So we talked about that a couple weeks ago. So if you have works of the flesh and that dominates your life, there's probably a good chance you're not saved, right? There's fruit of the spirit, which would be if you are saved, some of the natural things that happen in you are, here's the fruit of the spirit. And here's the things that you need to 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 look at to see if you have the Spirit living inside of you, because it'll naturally come out. It's not something you have to work at. The fruits of the Spirit are just something because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, right? So then he goes on, and this is where we're, we're ending up. So then he gets to the place where if you understand the true gospel and the nature of the gospel, we have to settle something, something that I don't even think is settled today, but you're going to have to settle this. Who determines whether something is a sin or not? Right? We live in a culture today where what determines sin? Who determines sin? Who decides whether this is right or wrong? Because the battle in the world today between people is, is, well, you know, this is what it says, and, and this is, says that it's a sin, but the rest of the world says it can't be a sin anymore, and churches are dividing, and people are splitting, like problems are happening because nobody can decide, is what the Bible say really true? Right? So if the Bible says it, do we believe it? Right? And there's a lot of division over this today. And so we have said, listen, we are a Christian church. We believe that the Bible is absolute truth without error. And if it says it's a sin in the Bible, we're just going to err on it's a sin. Right? Like there's no reason to try to rewrite it. There's no reason to try to justify it. Because think about this. You know this logically in life. If you try to justify one thing, where do you stop with your justification? right like if you start justifying this then why can't somebody else justify this like that never ends so we're just going to err on the side of if it says it's a sin and you and you're struggling with it be thankful for a savior instead of justifying your way out of never needing a savior which is what happens a lot right like you look at it i don't want to you know this can't be a sin you know i don't need a savior but just look at it and say you know what i'm fallen i got problems i'm a sinner Thank you for Jesus, right? That's where we wanted to land. And then when we left that, that's kind of what we talked about last week, and we need to understand what sin is. Now, here's the big problem. What do you do when somebody else is sinning, right? So how do you deal with that? Do we just let it go? Do we let people move on? Because you know how it goes, right? So if you walk up to somebody and be like, you're a sinner. First of all, that would be weird. Right? Like, I, I mean, if honestly, if somebody just walked up to you, because if, and it sounds funny, but you realize that's really true, right? Like, the idea of, you know, where it gets to the place where people are like, you know, don't judge and Christians aren't supposed to judge. Part of that is because Christians don't understand this concept. See, Christian people love to stand at a distance and shout at you, right? Like, They love to shout, you know, at the concerts and have the signs, and I like to yell from distances that these people are sinners and and these people need to repent. But the thing that we forget, right, is, is that he gives us a model of how we're supposed to deal with sinners, and it's not standing on the street corner yelling at people, telling them a sinner that they they don't even know who you are, right? That's not the idea. That's not helpful. It doesn't work. So he gives us a model. How do you deal with it? And here's what he says. You know where you need to deal with it? Inside of the church, not outside. Right? You know where you need to deal with sin? For people who have a Bible that determines sin and they're inside of the church and you need to talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ and you need to do something with them. Like you need to talk through what sin looks like and what you can do. So we're going to talk about that today. How do you approach somebody who has sin in their life and how do we deal with it? Then we're going to talk to through this principle that it's a, you know, we live in a in a culture where I think most of us still understand this, even though you aren't a farmer or even though you aren't somebody who is in agricultural agriculture, you know and understand this. What you sow, what you put in the ground, you will reap. Skimp on the sowing, skimp on the reaping, right? Like we get that. Like if you cheat the process in the way that you sow and how you prepare the ground and the way that you get your soil ready, like all of those things, if you skimp on that process, you're also going to reap less. Like we get that he brings it, that's what Paul says, you also need to understand that in your own life, like you need to figure out, if you're not going to understand the sowing and reaping part of it, you're going to miss the whole boat, right, so you need to understand sowing and reaping, and then he brings it all back down to the end, and he says, okay, here's the beginning, here's the end, let's wrap it all up, and let's move forward in our walk. Sound good? All right, so let's get to Galatians 6, and let's start in the beginning. We're going to read all the way through it, then we're going to, uh, 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 the first part of Galatians 6, and we're going to talk about how to deal with a sinning brother. Galatians 6, starting in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this you uh, And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions that they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. First thing, if somebody is in sin, what does scripture tell us to do? Well, he says, back to the beginning, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person, but do it gently. Now, here's the dilemma, right? The dilemma is this. You see what it says right in the beginning? What's it say right in the beginning? Brothers and sisters, right? Which means I have a relationship with you like a brother and sister that in this relationship in Christ, we both have the same idea. Here's the idea. If we're brothers in Christ, here's what my responsibility is, right? My responsibility for another brother in Christ, helping take another step closer to Jesus, right? We're on the same journey. We're going down the same path. And when somebody chooses to go off of that path, right? When somebody chooses to walk away from the Lord instead of walking towards the Lord, brothers can come to another brother and say, you're off the path, we need to get back on the path. But you know what the problem in society is? You might have friends, but you don't have brothers. You might have acquaintances, but how many people in your life would you say, you know what, that's a brother in Christ. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to care about your spiritual journey, and I'm going to care enough to talk about your spiritual journey, right? I'm going to care enough to ask, how are you doing? Where are you going? How, what, what's your walk like? How can I help you down that? right? We live, unfortunately, we live in a very isolated society today. Like everybody's behind a screen, behind a phone, behind, you know, the things like relationships, true relationships, not just acquaintances that you hang out with, but true relationships are very foreign today, right? True people that you look at and care about. So this whole concept, do you know why the church is struggling with this so much? you know, the whole idea of how to restore a brother who's sinning? Because you don't even know. You're not in community with anybody, right? Like, you come to church, you participate in a group, big group gathering, but let's just be honest. Do you have any brothers and sisters? How do you get to know a brother and sister in Christ in this, in this thing? Like, we can barely get people in and out, right? Right? <laughs> Like, I mean, the whole idea of just coming in and coming out, that you don't create a brother in Christ by just sitting in a row of people. That just doesn't happen, right? So we do have to get to the point where we will then say, okay, you know what? It's gotta be more than this. You will never have a brother and sister in Christ if this is all your spiritual journey entails. The other thing is this. You know why I think the other part of the problem with us today is? You don't really want a close friend because you really don't want them to know what you're doing in life. You don't want to be held accountable. Anybody? Right? It's way easier to hide. Like, it's way easier to go down the road, do the things that you want to do. Don't really, don't ask any questions. Don't ask the deep stuff. Don't go into this. I mean, we all know this, right? Because think about it with your own kids. Think about it with your wife. Think about the people that you know. How deep of conversations are you in with them other than just the general things that are going on in life? I mean, how many of us are sitting down with our kids and being like, tell me about your spiritual journey. What did God say to you this week? What are you struggling with? How can I pray for you? How many of you are sitting down with our wives and our husbands and talking about these things? And then Paul saying, Like this, I guess what Paul's saying, this should just be natural. Like, I'm just assuming that you're doing it with your kids, and I'm just assuming you're doing it with your wife and your husband, so it just makes sense that you're going to do it with other people, right? Like, there's this natural tendency that if we care about somebody's spiritual journey, we got to be in a relationship with them. When you don't have a relationship and you approach somebody and say, hey, let me help you with your sin... That does not work. All it seems like is I'm judging. Right? When, when you are, again, think about this. We know, we know this naturally. When you're in a relationship with your kids, if your relationship isn't deep, you can't ever get to the tough stuff. If your relationship with your wife, your husband, isn't deep, then you can't ever get to the tough stuff because those conversations just become, you're judging me, and one of them gets mad, and the other one walks away. Anybody else ever experienced this, right? Like if it's not a deep relationship and you get into these conversations, nobody wants to have these conversations. And if you do have the conversation, it's like, well, this is what you said about me. Let me tell you a little bit about you, right? (laughs) And then it just goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until you just give up, right? And you just walk away because there isn't this depth of, do you know why I'm coming to you? Do you know why I want to talk to you? You know why I want to do this? Because there's a bigger picture, Right There's something huge on the line that, that Satan's trying to creep in and destroy our marriage. Satan's trying to creep in and take my children. Satan's trying to creep in and get inside of the church. Us having this conversation is a protection and a guard and a bigger picture to say, we're, on, we're in the battle. We're gonna have the battle. We're gonna go down the road. Right. So he says, brothers and sisters, we need to understand that we need to go to those people and we need to talk to them and talk to them from this perspective as those people living in the spirit. You know what that means? When he says those who live in the spirit, for those people who live in the spirit, you know what you know? This is what I know. I'm going to approach this from this standpoint. I too, like you, am a sinner falling short of the glory of God. So let's talk (laughs) because we're on the same page. This might be your sin, this is my sin, but we're gonna be on a journey together. So he's very clear when he says, do it by the Spirit and that we should restore that person, that we should help that person and that we should do it gently, right? Now. This to me, right, is once we get past the part of we're in relationship with people, we're talking with people, we actually care about their spiritual journey, so we're going to ask them, them qu- those questions. You're in an environment where you feel comfortable coming to somebody because the idea of caught in sin sounds like you're like a spy and you're watching from a distance, you know, like, ha-ha, I caught you. Come here, you little sucker. Here's your punishment, right? Like that's not what he's talking about, Right? When he's saying caught in sin, it's not by you, but caught up in sin. Does that make sense? Like you're caught up in what Satan's trying to do, so he's caught up in this. You know what happens when you're caught in sin? Deception. You never know you're sinning. Or if you do, you know it's somewhat blind to what you're doing. So the first thing that you have to do with a brother or sister in Christ is you have to get to the place where they actually admit they're sinning. That's part of our problem today. It's okay, like, There ain't no lightning bolts coming, there's no wooden spoons, there's no paddles, there's no lightning bolts, like, it's okay to say, you know what, I made a mistake. Now, remember this, because you know this naturally with your kids, you know this naturally with people that you love. As a person working with somebody, how you respond to somebody's mistake will tell you whether or not they'll ever tell you again. Anybody? Anybody ever like go to somebody and be like, "Hey, let me tell you my, you know, I'm just struggling. Let me tell you." And then they tell you all of the reasons that you're that way, and all the reasons that you shouldn't be in that direction and all of the and like they just go, like, they just think that the way to get you better is to make you feel worse. <laughs> No one's ever had that, right? Like you sit with them and they're just like, well, thanks, I just wanted to talk about this, but thanks for reminding me of everything else, right? Like that's not our response should be is like, okay, let's walk down this journey. We don't need to talk about the past, right? True love doesn't keep a record of wrong right? We don't think about those things. Let's move in the future. How can I help you? But we have to do it, right? Like, we got to restore our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to be able to pick them up. The next thing is we got to hold them up, right? You can't just pick somebody up and say, like, smack them on the butt and leave, right? Like, you got to do something. It's a journey, right? It's a, it's a if you're in relationship, this is a journey. It says this in uh, verse 2, uh, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions that they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. What does it mean to carry somebody else's burdens? Right? What does it look like for us as Christian people to be on a journey to do what Christ did for you? Right? Now think about this. What did Christ do for us? Lighten the load, right? He says, my yoke, right, that you take on is not heavy. Give it up, give, give all the stuff that you're trying to carry, give it to me, I'll carry it for you. I'll take care of the hard lifting, I'll do that stuff. This is what I need from you. So how do we do that with other people, right? How do we walk a journey with other people that we don't put more of a load on them? Well, if you remember in the beginning, Part of putting the load on other people, right, is this, this is what was happening in the Galatian church, right, is, is that they were, t- the law was more of a load and it wasn't free. So the answer to people can't be follow the law. You know what your problem is? You don't follow the rules. You know what to get better? Follow the rules. That's not the way it is. That's an actually heavy load, right? Because if any of you guys would admit it, you're not doing a very good job carrying your load anyway, right? If you would truly admit, like, here's the idea of he's saying, oh, yeah, what you need to do is just follow more rules. Well, you're not doing it anyway. You're no better than me. If the whole idea was just following the rules, I already knew to follow the rules. The bigger question is, why don't I, right? Why do I go down there? What's wrong? Help me, Help me identify the real burden, and let's carry that together, because if you just come to me and be like, you know what the answer is? Just one, two, three, and if you follow these rules, you're going to be better. That's more of a burden because you know what's going to happen? That person's going to go out and try. You know what else? Do you know what they're going to feel like? I can't get it done. Thanks for your help, but that was terrible. Right? I'm never going to go down that road. So carrying the burdens can start with this idea of find out what's burdening that person. Find out what's going on inside of their heart because most of the time what's happening in the heart turns into actions in life. Right, so part of carrying the burden is having deeper conversations and walking down that journey with them. The other thing is this, we got to figure out how to not allow future attacks to happen. How should you be on guard for your brother in Christ? You know, there are some real realities in life because you remember when I said last week that this is part of the problem, you know, in the church, the, the, the Christian people, part of our problem is this. Hey, guess what? You got a problem? Oh, man. Let me pray for you. And in your mind, you're like, oh, God, help this person go down this road. And you're thinking in your mind, but don't ask me to do anything. (laughs) Anybody? Right? They're like, man, this guy's messed up. I can't be on a journey with him. It's so messy. Can send somebody else, please. Has anybody else thought this? I'm saying I've thought this, right? Like, I've been on this road. Like, you're thinking, how am I going to help? This journey is messy. This journey is hard. Part of carrying their burdens is like, you know what? I'm going to get messy with you. I'm going to have enough time in my schedule. I'm going to have enough financial wherewithal. I'm going to have enough room in my schedule. I'm going to have enough emotional capacity that if I come to you and we are brothers, I better have space to walk a journey with you. Now, can you be everybody's brother and sister? No. You can't be in that deep of a relationship with everybody. That just doesn't work. But you do have to be with the people that you are. You can't use your excuse of whatever those things are, why you won't help them carry the burden, why you won't be on a journey with them. You just got to pick the people that you're going to be in relationship with and help them carry that burden. Now, the list could be exhaustive. You only know on how to carry the burden if you're in a relationship with that person. Make sense? Here's the next thing that he says. you got to not only uh, hold him up, but you got to build him up. Verse 6, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Now, here's what he's trying to get. So this whole, like, how God is speaking to you and how God is talking to you, we should share that with other people. You know, like people that are getting instruction from the words, you know, when you're reading the Bible and you hear things from the Lord, our brothers and sisters, we should share those things. And here's why. Do you know how many people that I talk to in a day that don't believe that God is still an active God that cares about the details of life? And when I say, you know what, I hear from God, and this is what God's doing to somebody who's over here as a brother in Christ who is you know, not hearing from God, you can say, look, he's real, and he's alive, and he does, and he heard, and these are the things that happen when you're in a relationship with the Almighty God. That's part of it. The other part of it is he's saying this, and I don't mean this bad, but, but I believe this, this to be true. Sermons are not, I gotta say this the right way, you might not come back. <laughs> <laughs> Sermons aren't directed to just give you instruction. Sermons are directed to push you in two ways, closer to Jesus and closer to people. Because let's be honest, you're going to forget this whole message in a couple days, right? Like what's going to keep you growing in your relationship is a personal relationship with Jesus and in a relationship with other people in a circle that are going to instruct you. That's just the way that it works. People that are going to encourage you in the things you need to do. So he's saying one of the things that we need to do with people is to build them up. How do you build somebody up? Through the Word of God. That's the way it works. Not only through the Word of God, through the resources that you have, but it's you're going to come alongside of them, pick them up, walk a journey with them, and then help them get on a solid foundation again. Does that make sense? So restoring a Christian brother starts with those principles. Now, He makes this big shift and he goes into two major things, two major topics. i only got 15 minutes to get this done. So two major topics that are foundational to the conclusion of Galatians. One is he talks about your view of God. And the second one is your view of how the world works, sowing and reaping, right? So here's what he goes into. We'll just jump right into it. Here's what he says, verse 7. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked, right? So he starts off this whole idea of, you are not going to mock God. And in this, here's the thing that that I want you to get. It doesn't mean like you're flippantly saying things, like mocking him through the words. It's mocking him in your belief system. Right? That's what he's talking about. The idea is from your belief system, this is a mocking of God. So I'm going to give you a scripture. We're going to read through it real quick. You can go back. Um, But this is a scripture that, that revolutionized, honestly, my life and my view of God. Because I always had this struggle. The order of the world, like how everything works, like in my mind, some, the way that I would look at the world and the way that I would think about the world, this idea of that things just happen randomly, like why does this happen and why would this happen and how does this happen? Like it was something that I couldn't get control of and I'm somewhat of a control freak. So I'm like, I need to get control of these things. And I read this scripture in a studying time that I was doing and it revolutionized my idea of how I view God, and I think it's something we've got to get right if we're going to move forward. This is Daniel 4, right? You can go back to this, but Daniel 4, this is the story about King Nebuchadnezzar. So if you remember um, kind of your history, if you don't know the history, I'll just give it to you real quick. The nation of Israel rose up by God. Here's what everybody knew. If you tried to attack the nation of Israel, what was going to happen to you? You were going to be defeated, right like that was just the way it was like if you look throughout all of scripture if the nation of Israel truly said this is God and we're going to follow God anybody that came against them would fail right but we also know this about the nation of Israel they decided to be their own gods other gods tried to go off in different directions and and here's the reality you see this throughout old testament history when they decided not to follow the one true God everybody that came against them what happened to them to the nation of Israel then they were destroyed. Why? Their view of how God fit in the picture, right? Whether he was or wasn't God was whether or not God was going to protect them and be a part of what they were doing or whether God was going to stand by and say, you need to learn a lesson, right? I'm going to withdraw and you need to learn a lesson. So nation of Israel messes up again. King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes in, destroys them, takes back, you know, the, the finest of the Jewish people. This is where you get the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? That's all part of that. Daniel in the lion's den, that was all part of that. These were all people taken from Jerusalem, put into Babylon to worship King Nebuchadnezzar right? Like those are the stories you hear. But in this, this is what King Nebuchadnezzar didn't get. And I hope you're going to see this. Who allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to destroy the nation of Israel? God. It didn't randomly happen. It wasn't just, oh, here's all of a sudden, you know, great Babylon and they're going to take it. God allowed that to happen. So even if, right, these are the things that you need to see, even outside the Christian world, pagan gods need to understand their place right? Pagan people need to understand their place. God sets up an authority and a rule of the world that if we don't follow, right, he will remind you of. So listen to the story. Here's what happens. So King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, calls on Daniel to be able to interpret the dream. This is the interpretation. Your majesty, and this is the decree that the Most High has issued against the Lord, the Against my Lord, the King, you will be driven away from your people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox and be drenched in the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you until, this is important. So if you actually have this in your Bible, you would want to underline it or go back to this. Those things are going to happen until you acknowledge, and this is the key phrase, the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to who? Anyone he Wishes right, So he gives him a warning. You need to understand King Nebuchadnezzar who's in control. Then the command to leave the stump of the tree with its root means that the kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that the heaven rules. Therefore, majesty, be pleased uh, to accept my advice. Here's his advice. He gives a warning. Here's the advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. So he sets up a foundation. God's in control. You need to know it. If you don't change, you got problems coming, but guess what? You get a chance to repent. Sound familiar to anybody, right? Like this is the story of your life. You know, you go to church, you read your Bible, God's in control. You think you're in control, but guess what? You get a chance to to repent of you thinking that you're in control. Right? So he gives you a chance like he gives everybody. But then he goes on. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, here's what he said, and here's the downfall of people. Is it not this, the great Babylon, that I have built as my royal residence and my mighty power, my mighty power, and for the glory of my Majesty. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and you will live like wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass by until you do what? Acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what a Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, Here's after this time passed. Raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the most high and honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal, is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures for generation to generation. If you're gonna understand what's coming next, you better understand this. You are not sovereign. You are not in control. And you can order your life now, don't miss this. You can order your life like you are in control. And you will be warned and, and told you need to repent because you're not in control. You will have a chance to recognize you're not in control. If you don't, you will, like King Nebuchadnezzar, be reminded that God is sovereign. God is. Is in control, and if you think that you can order your life outside of what God is doing, it will not work. Does that feel like that didn't make sense? Does that Is that making sense? Like, you can order your life as if you're in control of your money. You can order your life as if you're in control of your farm. You can order your life as you're in control of your marriage. You can order your life as you're in control of your children. But you will, at some point, God will come to you and say, now listen to me. The one thing you need to understand, above all things, who's in control? Who's in control of your children? Because remember this, they're not your kids. Right? They're on loan to you for a reason, to be a part of God's kingdom, to do what God's called. Them, like, they're on loan to you. Don't, don't forget it. God's in control. Your marriage, your money, your finances, your house, your cars, your vehicles, right? Whose are they? If, if we understand the order of the world, if there is an order in the world, who's in control of all of those things? God. If you start living, and I think you guys will know stories of this, like you've seen stories of this or maybe this has been your life, when you get to the place where you're the proud person who thinks it's all because of you and your success is because of you and all the things it does because of you, guess what God does? He reminds you who is sovereign and who is in control, right? But you know what the cool thing about King Nebuchadnezzar King Nebuchadnezzar got to the place where, you know what, he had to suffer, so he's like an animal out there eating in the grass, like he had to suffer because of his pride, he had to suffer because he thought he ordered the world, but he got to the place where, you know when the suffering went away? And this might be you today. You might be struggling today, and you know why you're struggling? Because you will not lift your eyes to heaven and acknowledge who's in control. Because what happened when King Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes to heaven? All of it was restored, right? He was brought back to the place that he started. Like, those are important aspects, and I can't emphasize enough, like, listen to me. Part of your struggle today, and I don't know this, but part of your struggle today might might be that you don't understand the order, and you don't believe God's sovereign. In fact, you think you're sovereign. You think you're in control. You think you have everything, you know, and, and all of the things that you do are gonna put all of this stuff in order. Like, that might be you. And if it's, it's you, I'm not gonna give you the warning. I'm just gonna give you the warning that Scripture says. Pride comes before the fall. And listen, I have watched this. Depending on how prideful you are, how great the fall is but I have seen some great falls and you know how they started these were people and these are people that I was personally in relationship with I would go to them and be like hey I love you I want to talk to you this is what I see in your life and you know what the first thing that they would say people that are struggling with pride what are you talking about? I'm not sinning. What are you talking about? I'm not doing, what are you talking about? I'm not an alcoholic. What are you talking about? I'm not, right? Like, the first thing is the denial of it, right? I'm like, hey, it's just what I see. I don't know. you got to determine for yourself, right? I don't know where you're at, but here's what I see. Here's what I feel. I've had it where God has impressed upon me. You need to go talk to somebody. I go talk to this person I'm in relationship with. i like, this is what God's saying to me. They're like, well, I don't know why he would say that to you because none of that's my life, right? You see, if you're not humble enough to accept what the Lord's trying to do inside of you, speaking from experience, someday you will be humbled. Someday things will come to the forefront. And someday you will hopefully acknowledge this. <sighs> I'm not in control. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the best I can, but at the end of the day, I believe that the world has order and I believe that God is sovereign and I believe that God is in control and my responsibility through my life is to live the way he's called me to live. Okay, so establishing that as a foundation before we get to this. This is what he goes on and says. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now, sowing and reaping pretty simple concept right to everybody that's had a garden been on a farm been around a farm like this is pretty simple right I think I mean I'm an animal farmer so I can I can understand the animal side of it but I'm pretty sure this is right like you buy certain seed you prepare the ground in a certain way because you believe that if you do the yield or the reaping or the harvest will be more beneficial if you do it right on the back end Farmers, help me out a little bit. That's right, right? Yeah, okay, so you get all of that ready, plant the light seed, put it in there. Same thing when you're feeding an animal, right? Nobody can look at rate of gain and be like, I can't believe these things aren't eating the way they're sp- or gaining the way they're supposed to gain when you're giving them crap food, right? Like if you give them good food, there should be a rate of gain. There should be a way that the animal grows. Conceptually, we would understand that what you put in is usually what you get out. We're all tracking. How about with your kids? Maybe this—if you're not a farmer in the farming world—how about your kids? You raise a selfish kid; they're going to be a selfish man, selfish woman, right? Like we know that. If you sow into your kids that they are the center of the universe, like if you sow into your boys that they are the center of the universe, their poor wife someday. Anybody? right? Like if you show into these children that it's all about them and that your whole life is ordered around them and all of your decisions are around them, someday what you get is a son or a daughter who become a husband and a wife that don't get it, right? That's just part of sowing and reaping. Like that's what we sowed. What did you think you were going to get, right? If you teach a kid, like we're, I think we're reaping some of this, right? Children that get everything that they want when they're a kid. Anybody like they get everything they want, they, 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 they get married, and isn't it funny that when they get married, this is what you see, they want everything that you have, and they can't figure out that you worked for it for 40 years? Nobody else has experienced this, right? Like this idea that these kids have got everything that they wanted all of their life, and then they get married, and they're like... Man, I deserve your salary, your house, your stuff, everything that you have. And these kids end up in either financial trouble or they end up going back and living with mom and dad where they can give it, get it, right? They're just like, forget this idea. Mom and dad's basement's way better, right? Like I can get everything that I have. And or they bankrupt themselves because they leverage themselves with so much debt that they can't ever get it done, right? Sowing and reaping, like it makes complete sense when you look at it, you know, in ours, it's the same thing. If you want a great marriage, guess what? You actually have to put some time in it. No one's laughing about that one, right? Like, if you want your wife to love you, guess what you have to do? You actually have to invest into your wife. You have to sow into her, right, love so that what you will get back, hopefully, hopefully you get back, right, is a wife that loves you, the same thing. You have to sow into your husband, love, right? It can't just be, you follow the rules, you follow the rules, you do it my way, you do it my way, and all of a sudden, you don't love each other, you just exist in the same house. You have figured out ways to coexist, not love. Why? Because you're not sowing into your relationship. Does this make sense, sowing, reaping? Well, the same thing, we know this spiritually, If you are greedy, right, if you sow into your life, greed, if money, you know, is something that you think about all the time, Scripture is very clear on this. Sow greed, reap poverty. That's what it says, right? Generosity, be a generous person, you know what it says to the people who are generous, right? Your cup will overflow, right? It's just like it's an easy concept. Be greedy, become poor. Be generous, have more than what you could ever know what to do, right? Like press I'm not prosperity. So hopefully you don't take it that way. But I'm just saying God will provide because you've been generous, right? That that's what he says. Build into relationships with people, put seed out there, right? And you're going to see people come to know Jesus Christ. Like, that's going to be part of the thing. If we understand the concept, sowing and reaping, right, that we will get that. And you'll understand this, that you have two fields to sow into. Flesh, right? You can put your seeds out into the flesh, and you know what you're going to reap? Things of the world. And some of you might be absolutely happy with that. I got all the money I wanted. I got the job that I wanted. I got the house that I wanted. I got all of the things that I wanted because you've been just, you've been throwing seeds into that soil for a really long time. Right, but then on the spiritual realm, your marriage, your children, and yourself are bankrupt. Right, because you haven't been putting any seeds over here, because you've been putting all the seeds over here in the flesh. And he's saying, like, you got you got to understand this: if you don't sow any seeds, like back to what we talked about, if you don't talk to your kids about their spiritual journey, if you don't walk down the roads where you're interested in the spiritual journey of your kids, planting seeds. Right? If you're not going to do that and then you wonder why your kids are spiritually bankrupt, you wonder why we, you know, we're out there and we're not reaching people, You know why the church is decreasing and not increasing around the world, because we're sowing way more in the flesh than we are the spirit. Right? we got to be able to pick and we've got to be able to do that. Then he goes on and says, let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap the harvest if we do not give up. So he talks about this idea of sowing and reaping. You know, part of the problem is we give up too early. Why? Because we like to know that if we sow, we can see the harvest the next day. If we sow, we can see the harvest in the next month. If we sow, we can receive the harvest in the next two months. But we always want to know that if we sow, that there is an end and I want to see the harvest. I'm here to tell you, some of you, right, are going to see it. Some of you are going to be able to see the harvest right in front of you, and some of you aren't going to see it until the day that you stand in front of Jesus Christ. You just never know, right? But don't grow weary of sowing because you're not reaping. And know this, that most people never experience the fullness of God because they give up. You give up too early. You were pressing in and you were praying for it, but it's been a year. It's been two years. Anybody been praying for their kids for more than a year? Praying for their marriage for more than a year? Praying for their, the people around them? Praying for the salvation a year, two years, three years, five years, six years? You're like, I don't know why I keep praying. I don't ever see any difference. You know why you keep praying? Because you are supposed to. You're supposed to sow the seeds. And remember who's in control? Who's in control? God right? What am I in control of? Seeds, prayers, intercession, all of those things. I'm not in control of what God's going to do, but I am in control of what my actions are going to be. And you know what they're going to be? I'm going to do what I'm told to do. I'm going to be on my knees for my marriage. I'm going to be on my knees for my kids. I'm going to be on on my knees by name. I'm going to pray for people that don't know Jesus Christ, not in this broad spectrum. Oh, Jesus, I'm praying for all these people who don't know Jesus. No, by name, I'm going to pray for and I'm going to expect, here's the other thing, do you expect God to work? Do you? Because if you do, you will keep praying. Anybody? If you expect God to work, you're gonna be like, I'm gonna keep praying, I'm gonna keep praying, I'm gonna keep praying, and you know what? I might never see it, but that doesn't matter. I'm gonna keep praying, I'm gonna keep praying, I'm gonna keep doing. I'm gonna keep calling, I'm gonna keep talking, I'm gonna keep having meetings with, I'm gonna do whatever it takes. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to grow weary. I don't want to miss the blessing. I don't want to, you know, because I chose to give up, I'm not going to be able to see those things. Then he goes on and says this. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So he talks about this idea that we as believers should do good for people. Now, this might be a shock, but I think that we'll get this. Part of the problem in our world today is people don't know Jesus, right? Like, you know, the outside world, people that are, you know, trying to figure out whether or not Christianity is for them, part of it is because they don't know Jesus. And we live in a world where we think information changes the heart of people. Like we think just give them more information. Just give them a message. Give them a podcast, right? Give them a book to read. Like truly that's the answer. Here's what John said. They will know that they are my disciples by their love. Not by your words, not by your messages, not by by how much you know. They're going to know. You know how they're going to know it? Because you decided to walk alongside somebody and you decided to do good for them without the expectation of a return. And they're going to be like, who does that? You ever think about that? Like, who really does that? Who goes and serves somebody without the expectation I'm going to get something back? Like, we live in an exchange world, don't we? Like, we live in a, like, I'll serve you and you're going to give back to me, and we're going to make a deal, and as long as the deal works out, we'll keep doing it. But when, what happens when the deal doesn't work? Anybody been down those roads? Like when you give and give and give, and you get nothing back, you're like, why do I keep giving? Because they will know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you love. Because in the bottom line for you, It's more about what we can give than what we could ever receive. It's more about how we can show the love of Christ through the way that we, you know, again, give to people. And I think here's what you're going to find, right? By loving them and serving them, they're going to see Jesus way more than reading a book and having information. So we've got to get to a place where we as Christian people can open up our hearts and remember, where should you be sowing your seed, right? Where should you be spending your time? Where should you be investing into? Well, this would say invest into the things that will matter forever because here's, here's what we all know, right? In the worship team, you guys can come back up. But we know this. Things of the world, if you don't know this, they all burn and people fight over them. But you ever been in those situations? Like you get to the end of the life and somebody dies and they have a lot of things and people argue about them all the time? if you have it you if you have a lot of things and you haven't figured out what to do with them and even that they still might fight over them because that's just the things of the world, right? The things of the world give false hope. And that's why when somebody dies, it's like, I need it because that's going to give me security and things and have. And right. Like they, like they get this idea because when you sow into the things of the world, there is a false hope, right? There's a thing that you want to try to grab onto. This is why people fight about it because they are things of the world. At the end of the day, when they die, sometime it's all burning up. When Jesus Christ comes back, you don't get to take any of it with you. None of it. And you don't get to go up there, and Jesus isn't like, wow, your corporation, your farm, your business, your knowledge, your college degree. You know what he's saying? Thank you that you invested into things that will last forever, things that will go on for eternity. And you know that the only thing that is? People. That's it, the hardest thing to invest in, people. And that's his challenge, and he ends with this. This is how he ends it, brings it all back together. See what large letters I used to write uh, to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is avoid being persecuted for the cross, fakers, right? They're just trying to avoid persecution. Anytime something comes along, that's what happens is the church just shifts to stay away from, you know, confrontation. But not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Do they want to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh? May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither, and this is the key part, don't miss this, neither circumcised nor uncircumcised means anything. You know, he's going back and forth. Circumcision, not circumcision. None of those things mean anything. You know what counts? That you're a new creation. That's what counts. You want to make a difference in the world? Be a different person. Be a new creation. Have the Holy Spirit live in you. And then peace and mercy and all who follow this rule uh, to the Israel um, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit, brothers and sisters, amen men. Pretty easy way to sum it up. If the Spirit lives in you, you will be a new creation. The the fruit of the Spirit will come out inside of you. You're still going to sin. You're going to fall short of the glory of God, but your life's going to be different. How you sow into this world, there should be a before and after. Before Jesus, this is what I did. After Jesus, this is what I do. Why? Not because somebody told me, because inside of me, I'm a new creation. I'm just gonna do it naturally. I'm gonna invest into people. I'm gonna spend time with people. I'm gonna be in relationship with people because it's the only thing that matters in the end, something natural, what a new creation does. So here's my hope through all of this series and ended up with this, that evaluate that in your own life. Where are you at in your journey? Are you in relationship with somebody? Are you in community with somebody that can help you walk this journey? Are you in a place where you can help other people, where you can invest in other people? Are you at a place where somebody can call you out and say, listen, you're off track because there's bigger things at stake, right? Are you at that place? If you're not, find someone, find a community, be in relationship. And, and through that relationship, this is our prayer. Your life and the way that you live it and the new creation that you are will be a witness into a world that continues to get darker and darker and darker. May we be that witness. Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could come today. We thank you that just for the writings in Galatians, Lord, that it can teach us what the true gospel is. And Lord, most of all, that we can understand um, that you've called us to something bigger, Lord, and that you would settle in our hearts today, Lord, you're in control, and we're going to live as if you're in control. We're going to give over the control of our life to you. Lord, may we not be like Nebuchadnezzar and have the great fall, but Lord, may we hear and heed the warnings when pride gets in the way. And Lord, most of all, the way that we live our life, the new creation we are, may it bring you glory and you alone. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.